have some quick announcements for you. Uh, this Wednesday night, we have all our Bible studies are back. Uh, Pastor Sam is going to be right here in the sanctuary doing an Advent study. Uh, and if you don't want to come in the sanctuary to Sam's Bible study, you can watch it on Facebook Live uh, or on the church website. Also, Harriet Murray has a class on Wednesday nights, and they have a really large room where people can spread out. And I hear that's a great class as well. And the youth and kids, we've been meeting outside on Wednesdays, but I talked to Catherine today. I think we're moving inside this Wednesday because we don't want to be outside in 30-degree weather, so <laughs> we'll be inside this week. Um, December the 5th, the children and youth are invited to come watch the Polar Express at the Gadsden Movie Theater. We've rented out the whole theater so we can spread out, and it's just us, so that's pretty great. We'd love to have you at that. Our mosaic service this Tuesday at 6.30 is going to be in the sanctuary. Uh, we're having a World AIDS Day service. The theme this year for that is global solidarity, shared responsibility. As we pray for people around the world and those uh, in the healthcare uh, system that work with uh, those with HIV and AIDS. So we want to be praying about that and come join that service. Christmas Eve, this is exciting news. We want everybody to come to Christmas Eve service and to feel uh, safe about it. So we're going to have two services, one at four and one at six, and you uh, make reservations for this service. So we know how many people are coming and how to spread people out. You can make reservations on the church website, or you can call the church office. Uh, we would love to have you at that. And here, this is pretty great. At the entrances of the church, we have these. These are our Advent calendars uh, for the United Methodist Children's Home. Every day, you punch out the, what day you're on. It's going to tell you something pretty cool that you can do during the season of Advent. So you want to pick up one of those. And now, would you join us in our Advent uh, reading for the day? Watch and wait for Christ's coming. Today we are lighting the candle of hope. Hear God's promise of hope from Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his way and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and spread its pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Let us pray. Faithful God, out of war's chaos, you bring the order of peace. Renew us in hope. That we, that we may work toward Christ's advent of peace among all nations. God of promise, God of hope, into darkness come. Amen.
shepherds, you draw the hearts of kings. Even as a baby, you were changing everything. You call me to your kingdom before your lips could speak. Before and as a baby, I'm so glad to be able to worship with you today. Welcome. Welcome to this service. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. It's the beginning of the Christian year, so we can start a brand new year early, which I am all for. I don't know about y'all. Um, I love the way our sanctuary is decorated up. I hope you can see it at home. We have our beautiful Christmon tree. We have our Advent wreath. Over to my right and to your left is our angel tree. And uh, Pastor Andy uh, didn't mention that earlier, so I'll just mention it now. We have a, a Salvation Army angel tree. And so anytime during this season of Advent that you want to come and get one of the angels from the angel tree to sponsor and to get some gifts for to make somebody's uh, Christmas special, then you're welcome to do that. Stop by the church. and. Uh, and grab one of those, or, or we'll, we'll help get one to you if you need to. Right now, uh, Miss Catherine's going to take our children to, to Children's Church. They always have a great time, so if they'll be making their way over that way. Um, I do want to thank you for supporting us um, all year long. Thank you for supporting us uh, during this season. If you haven't uh, sent in your generosity cards, uh, go ahead and do that because we need to plan for next year. We appreciate you, and we love you, and um, I want to pray for you now. Lord, we are thankful for this new season. The season of Advent is always special. It's a season of light. It reminds us that no matter how dark it seems, the light overcomes the darkness and pierces it and, and gives us hope. Today is a, a season, a beginning of a season of hope, and we need that so much. We thank you for all those, Lord, who are fighting on and who are helping support uh, this, this great church and the ministries that we, uh, that we do in your name. And we pray, Lord, that as people give their tithes and offerings today, you would bless them for your kingdom's glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm so ready to hear all of these, these wonderful Advent songs, O Come Emmanuel, and uh, it's just, I'm, I don't know, I'm ready. I'm ready for Advent, aren't y'all? We're, we're starting our Advent series today, and uh, it's called Incarnation. That's the theme, and Incarnation is all about celebrating God with us, the Word made flesh. And if you are interested in and digging a little bit deeper into the significance of the Incarnation. Uh, it's the theme of our Bible study, too. So beginning this coming Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, you can come here and, and study with us, or you can study with us on Facebook Live. If you would like to order, uh, if you'd like to come and pick up one of the books that we'll be using, it's Adam Hamilton's book, Incarnation, uh, Rediscovering the Significance of Christmas. If you'd like to study that with us, you can come by the church office and pick up one of those books or just order it uh, however you like to, to get your books. 
and, um, and make this Advent even more special as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. Um, today we're looking at, at uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And so uh, follow along and hear the word of the Lord this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I hope you were able to have uh, your Thanksgiving meal. And we, a lot of us had to modify our gatherings. But you know what? This is kind of a universal, um, a universal thing with families, I've found. There are three topics that you want to avoid whenever you have a family get-together. If your family's uh, as diverse as mine is, then... Um, you know what they are, don't you? The politics, religion, and football. Okay, so I'm about to talk about all three of those topics today. You say, Pastor Sam has lost his marbles. No, no, really, I am. So um, I'm going to talk about politics, religion, and football in this message today. Let's get football out of the way first. Here's what I want to say about football. The Iron Bowl was played yesterday. That's all I'm going to say about football. On to politics, right? Um, politics. Are you ready for that? Um, so here's what was going on politically 2,000-something years ago when Jesus was born. You didn't think I was going to talk about politics in 2020, did you? I'm not that crazy. Um, so the area where Jesus was born, as you know, was the area of Palestine, and it was part of a very, very large territory called the Roman Empire. 
And at the time that Jesus was born, uh, various areas of the Roman Empire had their own kings. And I use air quotes when I say kings because they were only kings because the Roman emperor let them be kings. And they were only kings as long as they did two things, as they were loyal to Rome and as they kept everything stable. And if they were loyal to Rome and they kept everything stable, then the Roman emperor didn't care what they called themselves and they could call themselves a king if they wanted to and they would have the support of the Roman army, okay? So at the time Jesus was born, Herod the Great was the king of the area of Palestine. Uh, but he was coming to the end of his time of rule, to the end of his life, and on one hand, you could say uh, Herod the Great had had a successful reign. He, he built many uh, fortresses, and he built a series of aqueducts, and he built theaters and public houses and all of those places like that. Uh, but he, according to historians, was probably a couple of french fries short of a Happy Meal to begin with. And then as he got older and farther into his reign, and as he got toward the end of his reign, he became more and more bizarre and nutty and more paranoid and more violent and more unstable. And he ruled basically by mass terror. He did, everybody was afraid of, of Herod, and, and they didn't know what he was going to do, and um, he had these uh, series of spies that would, would do sur surveillance, for the lack of a better way of calling it, surveillance among the people and keep track of the people, and you didn't know who was spying for Herod and who wasn't spying for Herod, and, and it, was, it was a very, very scary time. And so when I say he was violent and paranoid, um, how bad was it? Well, here's how bad it was. He, um, he basically started killing off his family. He started killing off and executing anybody that he saw was a threat to his uh, power. And he became paranoid that people close to him were trying to to get rid of him and so anybody basically he was systematically killing off all of the male relatives who might have a claim to the throne and at the time that Jesus was born Herod was in the process of trying to execute his son Antipater and that's what was going on at the time he was accusing him of treason so we know from various historians like Josephus and, and people like that who wrote about the time, people around Herod were saying, you know, this guy's nuts. He's, he's crazy. We don't know what he's going to do. He's, there's no telling what he might do next. And the Jewish ruling elite, uh, they were also concerned because they were only in power as long as they could keep everything stable and there wasn't anything stable about Herod's mental state at the time so he was threatening that delicate balance and then we know there are other uh, political players that were going or uh, that were a part of the picture at the time we know about Pontius Pilate who was the governor of Judea at the time Pontius Pilate was only in power as long as he kept everything stable too so in a nutshell everything was like a powder keg politically and it was just waiting to explode. That was the climate at the time that Jesus was born politically.
All right, now religion. I already mentioned the Jewish uh, ruling elite. Uh, We can kind of place this if we look at Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, it tells us who the Roman emperor was. It tells us that Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. It tells us all of the different rulers of different areas. And then it says this in verse 2. It was during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, so we learn the Roman emperor is Tiberius. Um, Pilate is the governor of Judea. Herod's the king of Galilee and all of that kind of stuff. But then Luke says this. Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. And that's kind of a little misleading because nobody ever had two. There was never a time when there were two high priests at the same time. But Annas' name was mentioned because he was kind of like the godfather. He was the power behind the office of high priest because the high priest in Jesus' day was a very powerful position. And it was was like a dynasty. uh, Annas passed it down to his sons. Caiaphas, who was currently serving as high priest, was his son-in-law. It was all about holding on to the power, and Annas was the most powerful, most influential religious, influential religious person in the land. The Romans didn't care about religion, right? They didn't. The only religious thing that they did was maybe um, emperor worship or something like that. But they didn't care that the Jews had their religion as long as everything was stable, as long as, as the people were not revolting, as long as they were at least on the surface loyal to Rome, then Rome was happy, and it was all just a delicate balancing act. And here's the thing about politics and religion in, Jesus, in the time Jesus was born. It was just like, please, nobody rock the boat. And then God came along and said, you know what let's do? Let's go ahead and rock that boat. That's exactly what happened. Galatians 4, 4 says it this way. But when the fullness of time came, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son born of a woman. That's the incarnation. That's the big religious sounding word that just means God becoming flesh, God taking on human flesh, God embodied in a baby. And the Christian faith is different from from other religions in that we are bold enough to say that the God of the universe, the God of the universe actually became flesh. Uh, We are are bold enough to say that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And that is a religious title, and it's also a political title. And you say, well, Pastor Sam, I I get the religious part, but how is it also a political title? Well, remember what we just read. We just read that uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and here's what she said. She said, you're going to, he said, you're going to have a baby And that that baby is also going to take the throne of his ancestor David. The throne of his ancestor David. And he's going to be king. And not king with a little K. King with a capital K. 
Because his kingdom is going to be over everyone, everywhere, and his kingdom will have no end forever and ever. So think about what that meant for politics. Was that a threat to King Herod? You better believe it was. That's why in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise man came and said, Where's this one that was born king of the Jews? Herod said, Wait, what? King? I thought I was king. I'm the only one. He was already paranoid. I'm the, what do you mean king? He was so paranoid and he was so violent. He was so threatened by this thought of another king being born that he had all of the children two years old and under slaughtered just to keep someone from being king. Religiously, was Jesus a threat to the religious leaders in the day? Of course he was. They knew what the prophecy said about the Messiah. They knew enough to, to know that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. They just didn't expect to look in a manger to find this newborn king. So how much of a threat was Jesus to them religiously? Enough of a threat that they would work together with the political leaders, the political establishment, to try to get rid of Jesus, to try to crucify him, eventually crucified him. But you know what? King Herod couldn't get rid of him. And the religious leaders couldn't get rid of him. Even crucifying him could not get rid of him because death cannot hold this king. Because Christ the king rules even over death. Jesus is king of kings and his kingdom will have no end forever and ever and ever and that's why the greatest moment in history, the climax really of all human history, is Jesus, the newborn king. The word of God made flesh dwelling among us. All right. Now would be the time to say amen or to type amen in um, the comments. But every sermon doesn't just need an amen. It also needs a so what. Okay, if Jesus is the king and is the king of kings, is the Messiah, so what? What, is, what does it mean for us? And what does it mean for nearly a third of the world's population who says that Jesus is our king? What does that mean? Christ the king. Well, I'd like to say to you today that Christ the King offers us two things that we desperately need today. Two things. And one is just some perspective. I think we need to let Christ the King help us keep all of this crazy stuff in perspective Especially now, especially since we have just come through, in this country anyway, the most divisive and the most contentious and the most uh, heartbreaking, um, family-dividing presidential election that I can remember. I mean, record amounts of money were spent, uh, record voter turnout, deep hurt and division in our country, maybe more division since uh, that we've had since the Civil War. I don't know. I'll let the historians figure that out. But here's what I mean when I say perspective. Because you see, for those who claim Christ as king, we are the ones who get up every day 
knowing that our highest allegiance, our deepest devotion, and our greatest commitment belong not to any political party, not to the Democrats and not to the Republicans, not to the Libertarians, not even to our country, as much as we love our country, our deepest devotion, our highest allegiance, our greatest commitment belong to one and only one, and that is Christ the King. Christ the King. Any other allegiance, any other allegiance that we place above our allegiance to Christ amounts to idolatry. Idolatry. So if we could agree on that point, that Christ is the King and our first and highest and most devoted allegiance goes to Him always, if we could agree on that one point, then we could agree to disagree on many other points, and it wouldn't matter all that much. Because if Christ is the King, if He is King in people's hearts, and if following Christ is our highest goal, then whatever our political persuasion, whatever our denomination, even whatever our age and social status and occupation and gender and sexual orientation and whatever... All of us could agree that seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of us could walk hand in hand, six feet apart wearing masks, of course. But metaphorically speaking, hand in hand in that way. And you say, Pastor Sam, you're a dreamer. Well, I am. But I'm not the only one. Perspective. The other thing that Christ the King means for us that we so desperately need right now is promise. That's the other thing Christ the King offers us. Because, you know, it's been a rough year. It has. It's been a rough year for so many, for just about everybody. Um, with not just the pandemic and not just the elections, but with storms and wildfires and heartbreaks and business closes and people dying. What do I mean when I say promise? I want to share with you a, a quote from the book Incarnation, the Adam Hamilton book that I'll be referencing and uh, that we'll be studying on Wednesday nights. This is a book in which Adam Hamilton quotes another author uh, named James Stewart from his book, King forever. Here's the quote I want you to hear. The world's dark night may still continue pressing in upon us. But if I have seen Christ, then I know that the darkness of history is now shot through with unquenchable hope. And with the final certainty of the glorious outcome of all its struggles. Or to make it more personal... I may go down into the dark, but if I do, I am still in the hands of him who bears the scepter of all the universes and everlastingly makes all things new, here and hereafter, and therefore I am safe forever. Promise. Today, as we started this service, we lit the candle of hope. 
And I think I've said to you before, uh, more than being an optimist, I'm a person of hope. And I think that there's a difference, right? Because optimism can be blind optimism. But hope, hope has to be built on something. And the hope that I have and the hope that I hope that you have is built upon Christ the King. That I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's the promise. That's the hope. And I hope that we can hold on to that perspective that Jesus Christ is king. Let us pray. Lord, when we consider the unlikely way that a king came into this world, it blows our mind. We think about the angel coming to Mary and giving her this message and Mary and in faith saying, let it be to me, even as you've said. Lord, we know that in that stall, in that animal stall, 2,000 years ago, to, to see that baby in a manger was to see hope in human flesh, was to see God in human flesh, was to keep perspective that of all of the craziness and all of the people who were claiming they were the most powerful people around, none of that compared to the incarnation, the king. And you are king, and that's where our hope is built. In Jesus' name, amen.
hear this benediction from Romans chapter 15 verse 13 now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit Amen